please take your Bibles and open them up to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. If you are new to the Bible or new to, it's been a long time since you've been back to church, you may be helped to know that those large numbers, that Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. That is, if you just turn a few pages past the table of contents, past whatever introduction may be in that copy, it is, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. And if you are using the Pew Bible, the page number is page number 13. But the large numbers are the chapter divisions. The small numbers are the verse divisions. And we're going to be spending some time just in a few verses in chapter 18 this morning. Before we read our text, I'd like us to begin with a word of prayer. Would you join me? Father in heaven, we need you now. We need you every hour, O oh God, but how much more do we need you when we open up your word? We do not desire to see what we want to see. We desire to see what you would have us to see. We desire to see you, O oh God. So this morning, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous mystery, the wondrous treasures of your grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This morning we are gonna read, beginning with verse 16, and I'm going to read, I'm gonna do something we don't often do. I'd like to read our text, but our text is a long one, and it goes from Genesis chapter 18, verse 16, all the way to the 29th verse of chapter 19. So I realize this is a a lengthy section, so if you want to follow along, I would encourage you to do so in your own copy of the Word of God. And the reason we're reading this entire section is because it is one episode. And we're going to come back to this episode in a few weeks and look at it again from another angle. But I think there's something important that we are going to see from just the handful of verses at the beginning of this section, of this episode, as, as it were. But it is all one episode, and so we'll, we'll take it part and parcel all together, all right? So follow along as I read verse 16 of Genesis chapter 18. Then the men arose, and you'll remember the last time the men here are referring to, first the Lord who has come down in, in the form of human, and then also to angels that are with him. They have come down in human form. And so the men arose from there, and they've, they've been eating and drinking with, with, with Abraham, and now they've, they're standing up to go. The men arose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him in order that I may command, that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. 
Then the men turned away from there, and they went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord, and Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just or right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? So he said, If I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it for the, for I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose now, suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. And the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, hear now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly so that they turned into him and entered into his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. And before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said to him, stand back. And they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to breaking down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. And the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place. Because the outcry against it, against them, has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, 
who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the men dawned, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his, do- of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of this city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar, and the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the, out of the heavens. So he overthrew, the, overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. There is quite a lot that is going on in this passage. It is a familiar passage to many. If you have grown up in the church, there is a good chance you have heard this story recounted, whether it be in a Sunday school class or you have heard a sermon on it. Perhaps if you've worked at reading through the Bible, you have read it. This is a, a well-known passage, and there is a lot that is going on here, but there is something that is happening. As I, was, as I had planned this to, to preach this text Last year, I, I plan out my sermons over the course of a year, and I, and I look ahead and I try to divide up the text to preach. And I had planned to take 18, 16, all the way to 19, 29, because it is one episode in the life of Abraham. And it is all tied together. And you see that. And at the beginning of verse 16, where we're told that the Lord arises and he looks Toward in the New King James Version, if you're using another translation, the, the, the wording is he looked down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you have at the very closing of this section in verse 27, 28, 29, right in there where Abraham looks down. And these are two bookends to this entire section. This is all one unit, one episode. And there is a lot that is happening here. And there is a lot that we could focus our attention in. 
But as I was preparing this message and beginning to study this text, something began to jump out at me that I had never seen before. This, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, we began to notice like probably a handful or many of you, uh, a sound in our yard of uh, a high pierced uh, chirping sound that was going on all afternoon. And we began to notice cicada shells all over the, all over the place where we lived. And, and I mean all over the place, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of cicada shells. We would go out and our trees would be covered them. If you brushed up against some of the trees, they would like jump out at you and begin flying and it would startle you. There were so many cicadas. And during the day when they were at their peak of noise, you could hear them inside the house. Wherever you went, I say you could, you could, I could not hear them so well. I could take out my hearing aids and not be bothered. But my wife, she could hear them wherever she went in the house. It was just this little, or not so little, chirping noise that you could hear wherever you were at. And if you stepped outside, it it was deafening. I mean, they, they were all over the place. Look forward to 17 more years and we'll, we'll find them again, hopefully, maybe in some of your yards rather than our own. But we, we enjoyed them. Wherever we went in the house, we could hear them. And I felt like there was something in this passage that, like those cicadas, you could hear all throughout the house. You could hear one note played here at the beginning of these few, ver- these few verses at the beginning, that like those cicadas you could hear and are meant to hear throughout the entire passage. This episode has two halves. The first is God's dialogue with Abraham. And then you have the, the, the second half in chapter 19 of God's judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and his dealings with Lot. But as we look at this passage, one of the things that we notice here at the very beginning is this question of why does God make everything known to Abraham ahead of time? Why does he bother communicating his plans to Abraham? Why does he trouble Abraham with this knowledge? Why bother at all? You know, God is intent on revealing himself in this text. That's, that is what Genesis 18 and 19 are all about. We may think 18 and 19 are all about God and his judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And that is the background. That's the setting. But really the entire movement, the entire message of this text is to teach us about who God is. This is why we have Abraham asking that critical question in verse 23 about how God could treat the righteous and the wicked in the same way. Would you condemn them both in the same way, O oh God? That doesn't seem right. And then he asks that critical question in verse 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the entire answer of this passage is a resounding yes. Yes, The Lord, the judge of all the earth, will do what is right. This is the critical question that plagued me. Why does God bother to explain all this to Abraham in chapter 18? 
It is not as if God owes Abraham an explanation for what he's about to do. Nor is it true that God couldn't have acted until he had told Abraham what was going on. I mean, God is at work countless times in in unknowable ways and all over the earth. And he doesn't reveal it to Abraham. And yet here in his judgment on these cities, God intends, God, God communicates his plans to Abraham. God could have just gone his own way. He could have sent the angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah. He could have rescued Lot. He could have done all of it without ever involving Abraham whatsoever. So why does God tell him? And through this record given to Moses and the people of Israel, why does God communicate it to us? Why does God say anything? Why does God speak at all? You know, in telling Abraham all this, God is allowing his character, his justice, his righteousness to be questioned, isn't he? I mean, if if he would have just gone ahead and acted, Abraham would have been ignorant of everything until after the fact. And then he would have been able to say, God, you are righteous in your dealings. But he doesn't do that, does he? He brings him to this moment of crisis, to this moment of stress where Abraham is not sure. He is doubting. He is questioning God. God, how how can you? You are the judge of all the earth. Aren't you supposed to do what is right? My dad used to say, ignorance is bliss. Why couldn't the Lord have just allowed Abraham to be in a state of bliss, a state of ignorance through all this? The, Lord, the, the word of God would have been a number of verses shorter. Why not just skip it all, go ahead with his actions, and move on? Why does the Lord allow himself to be questioned? Why does the Lord act? Why does the Lord reveal himself? And it is actually this very question we see the Lord himself addressing in verse 17. Then the men arose from there, verse 16, and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? So that very question that you and I are asking, why would God even bother to reveal himself, to make himself known to people? Why does God speak to Abraham about his plans about Sodom and Gomorrah? Why does God speak to us in his word? Why? This is the very same question the Lord is addressing. And here he's not talking to the angels It is as if he's involving Abraham in the divine counsel. We have seen this again and again through the book of Genesis. Where God says back in Genesis chapter 1, let us create. And he goes on to create whatever it is he desires. Let us create man and woman, male and female. Here the Lord is involving Abraham in his divine counsel. And he is lighting a signal fire for all of us to investigate the purposes of God in why he reveals himself to us at all. And the question that the Lord poses is whether he ought to tell Abraham what he is about to do. And we've already seen that 
the issue that is at stake in this entire episode is that Abraham will know that God is just and righteous in all his ways. That's the aim of God in this passage, that Abraham will know that God, as the judge of all the earth, will do what is right. So the crux of the matter is this. Why does God think it is so necessary for us to know him? Not just to reveal himself, but for us to know him. And this is the important question that Abraham must consider. And this is the important question that you and I can consider in just these few verses. Why does God speak at all? Why does he make himself known? Why is the word of God so critical? Well, before we answer that question, we need to know one other question. Who is it that God speaks to? Who are the ones to whom God reveals himself? Who are the ones to whom God makes himself known? And we see this in verse 17. We back up verse 16. Then the men arose from there and looked toward Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. This is a sign of respect that Abraham is showing the Lord. It is a sign of what we might call reverential or godly fear. Something similar to how you, I am sure many of you, if you have had family come and stay with you for a time and after they are getting in the car and driving off, maybe you have gone outside on the front porch and you have waved to them, maybe walked out to the end of the driveway and as they drive off, you, you wave to them, let them know that you're, you're thinking about them even as they turn around the corner. Maybe you can remember that as a kid, visiting your grandparents. And as you load back up in the station wagon or in your van or your family's car, you look behind you and you're waving frantically as they are waving back to you, smiling. It's an act of of reverence, of love. But here it is an act of respect, of godly fear. It's the same kind of thing we see picked up in the Apostle John's third letter, where he commands people, he commands a a group of people to to treat missionaries who are serving the Lord in this way. And watch the language that he uses. Let me read verses five to eight. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of, of God. It's the same language picking up here, just as Abraham is sending on his guests in a manner worthy of God, for here he's been visited by the Lord. So we are to support and show respect to those who are our partners in the gospel, to those who have given of themselves to serve Christ. Abraham's action of walking along with his guests to send them on their way is godly fear. God makes himself known to those who fear him. But not only to those who fear him, but to those whom he favors. God makes himself known to those whom he favors. God does not reveal himself to everyone. He does not reveal himself to every single person in Sodom and Gomorrah or even in the surrounding areas. He has 
chosen to reveal his plans and his ways and his character, particularly to Abraham. And we see why in verse 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? And this was first promised to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. This is the covenant promises that God has made to him. God has bound himself to Abraham. He has committed himself to Abraham and his descendants, committed himself to fulfill these promises to him. God has entered into this covenant relationship with Abraham in Genesis 15 and and signaled it in Genesis 17, repeated it again in the beginning of, in the first half of Genesis 18. And here we have again another reference to it. The reason God reveals himself to Abraham and to any of us is because he is entering into a covenant relationship with us. That is, it is important for those who belong to the Lord, that we might know him and that we might know his mind and his ways. God brings Abraham into his confidence, revealing his character and his ways because he has bound himself to Abraham by an unbreakable covenant. And we see this even further, this, this favor of the Lord. Not only has the Lord entered into this covenant with Abraham, but he has in the words there at the beginning of verse 19, for I have known him. For I have known him. This is more than just a, a general knowledge of Abraham. Which is why many of almost every other modern translation translates this word as, for I have chosen him. For I have chosen him. Here, Abraham, out of all the peoples of the earth, has been chosen by God to know him, to be in this special relationship with him, to be bound to the Lord, and to be given these promises. This is a special favor of God. And bound up with all of God's grace, bound up with all of those promises, bound up with all that God intends for Abraham, is God's word. It is part and parcel of of being with God and part of the rich blessings that God intends for Abraham and all who belong to the Lord to experience is to have His word is to know the Lord and his ways. If this episode had a soundtrack, it would be at this moment, it would would be gracious. That would be the, the theme in the background. It is the same grace that motivates God to choose Abraham as his own and to forge with him this special relationship is the same grace that motivated the Lord to speak to Abraham and to make him known. And it is the same grace that moved the Lord to make himself known to us today. We speak of the scriptures as the special revelation of God. There are two ways that 
theologians will speak of God's revelation. One is his general revelation. That is, through nature, through things in the world, we may see something of God. We see this in Romans chapter 1, where Paul talks about how we, we may know God's eternal power and glory through nature. But what we are not able to see through nature, what we are not able to see in the world around us is God's special revelation. That is, we will not be able to know him through Christ. What God makes known to Abraham here and what God has made known to you and I is an act of grace. Theologians often talk about the scriptures as being, as having four characteristics. That is, it is authoritative, it is sufficient, it is inerrant, that it is unable to be, to be in error, and it is clear. Not clear on everything equally, but clear on what we must know to know God as our Father through Christ Jesus. There is another element that we see through the scriptures. And it is that God's word is richly gracious. We would not have one book, one chapter, one paragraph, one sentence, one word without the grace of God. And just as God is mind-blowingly gracious in redeeming sinners, so he is equally gracious in granting us knowledge of him through his word. The word of God is the grace of God printed in black and white. We tend to think of this book as something we can put on a shelf. We tend to too easily, far too easily, neglect it and to not see it as the gracious gift that it is. That in this, God desires us to know him, to see him. God speaks to those who fear him. God speaks to those whom he favors. But this only gets us to part of the question, the real question is, why does God speak at all? And we see the first part of that answer in verse 19 here, where we read, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. If Abraham is to command the and lead the people of Israel to keep the way of the Lord, to do what is righteous and just, then he must know God. The knowledge of God isn't an accessory. It's it's not merely something you can have. It is not an optional extra add-on to the the Christian life. It's not like going to the store and purchasing a computer or a telephone or a cell phone, and, and when they ask you, would you like the extended warranty? And you can evaluate, you know what, I'm a very careful person. I don't need to pay all that money for something I will hopefully never use. Knowing God isn't like that. 
Knowing God is, is like going to the, the store and purchasing a cell phone and them asking, would you like an operating system with that? Uh, it, it doesn't come with it. It's like getting a computer and finding that it doesn't have any hardware or software. The knowledge of God is, is critical to following the Lord, and it is critical to teaching and instructing others. This is for the sake of discipleship that God makes himself known. You know, doctrine, theology, whatever you want to call it, it is essential for the Christian life. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24 puts it like this. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight saith the Lord. J.I. Packer once wrote in his book, Knowing God, he said, disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. Brother and sister in Christ, Knowing the Lord, knowing his ways, knowing his character, isn't, isn't the responsibility of a pastor or a church leader or some theologian somewhere. We may never esteem the heights or reach the heights of some great writer, and that is more than okay. We will have all eternity to explore the riches of the grace and glory of God. You will have every moment of heaven to know him and to be glad in him. But till then, knowing God isn't unnecessary. It is essential. It is essential. Would you know how, would, would we know how we are to conduct ourselves at work? We must know God. We must know His ways. How do we operate and, and, and deal with those people who, who drive us crazy? Those people whom we are tempted to be at all times bitter or angry. For that we must know our God. How are we to deal with that situation, with those circumstances that seem to weigh us down? For that we need to know God. And in the case of Abraham here, how will he deal with evil in the world? How will he know how to handle suffering in the world? For that, he must know God. Knowing God is essential for us 
to follow the Lord. And it is essential for us to disciple others. More than that, there is a second purpose we see here in this text. And this goes back to what we see in Genesis 18, verse 19. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. The fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham are dependent on Abraham knowing the Lord. Part of those promises we see repeated in the earlier part of the passage in in the previous verse, in verse 18, where God is repeating his promises, giving the reason for giving the revelation to Abraham in the first place. He will make Abraham a great and mighty nation, which isn't merely talking about how big Israel will become, but it is talking about how significant Israel becomes in the plan of God. But that second line we see in that promise is this. That through him, the nations of the earth will be blessed. Essential to the task of blessing the nations. We might call this the redemptive task of seeing men and women from every tribe and tongue to come to know and see and savor in the rich glory of God. Essential to that redemptive missiological task is knowing God. Knowing God is essential for the task of missions. It is essential for the fulfillment of the promise that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And it is essential for you and I today. You know, in in the task of missions, as we, even as we share the gospel with those around us, at the heart of that is knowing who our God is. If we speak only of God's love and of his mercy and of his kindness and we never explain why we need his mercy in the first place because he is also a God of holiness, of justice and he is a God of wrath toward all who sin against him then we are only giving one half of the picture of God. And if we speak so strongly of God's holiness and of his wrath and of his justice that we never quite get to the message of his love and kindness and mercy and compassion in Christ Jesus, then we are giving a a view and a picture of the Christian faith that is terrifying. Knowing God is essential. Knowing God is essential. So why does the Lord put Abraham in this crisis at this moment? Why does he allow him to be weighed down with worry and fear at this moment that perhaps that the God he has trusted in isn't really a just and righteous God in the first place? Why does God put him in this place? Why does he allow you and I to endure so much hardship? 
Why not? If we belong to him, why does he not give us our heart's desires in this world? Why wouldn't he give us wealth and riches and health beyond measure? God is far more interested in our eternal satisfaction in knowing him than he is in our temporary comfort. Brother and sister, you were made and designed by God to know him. We were made to know God. And I want us to take a moment to just reflect on how polar opposite that is with everything else we see in the world. Even, even amongst Christians and churches, we are given the sense that the, that the aim of God in, in, for us is so that we would be healthy and wealthy and happy all of our days here. That we would have in this world our best life now. And as one preacher has said, if our best life is now, then we will not have a good life to come. We are often told that if we have simply the right tools, the right connections, the right education, the right wealth, the right experience, the right personality the right physical gifts, the right skills, the right relationships, the the right network, that all of that will help life to go well for us. And when we enter into churches, we bring that same kind of thinking. That if we listen to the right music or if we maintain the, the right kind of schedule, go through the right certain religious rites or do everything that we are supposed to do to take part of all the events and programs and groups that we are to do, that everything will go well for us. But all of this is nothing but self-absorbed religion. The Lord's aim for you and I is to know him. To know him. And in knowing him, to be able to teach others also as Christ commands us. So that we may go into all the world and preach the gospel. Not having a cheap sense of, a, of the glory of God, but having one that inspires us to make sacrifices, to serve, to having a rich understanding of the glory of God and be satisfied in him, to know and honor the Lord. This is why God speaks. So as we read the word this week, the first question ought not to be, what am I to do? How does this apply to me? The first question we must always ask is, what does this say about God? Who is he and how can I follow him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so often tempted to 
use your word to simply look at ourselves. We are so often pulled towards selfishness and self-righteousness. Father, we pray that you would help us to know you. To look into your word that we may know you better. That we may follow your word more clearly. That we may live it out ourselves and teach others also. That we may see the work of the gospel go forward. That others may know you in truth. Father, would you help us to know you? You have loved us. You have revealed yourself to us in your word. Would you grant us mercy this week that we may commit ourselves to knowing you in all of your rich glory? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.